Thank you that the promise of Almighty God is that we would be placed in the palm of his hands and no one would be able to pluck us from him. Thank you for the security of our salvation in Jesus Christ. We are grateful, O oh God, for your immense love for us. We are grateful that the great cost of our salvation was willingly borne by the Lord Jesus Christ because you are a gracious and merciful God. I pray now as we turn our attention toward the instructions of your word, I pray, O oh Lord, and thank you for its richness to us. And I pray that it, might, that it might penetrate hearts today, Father, in a very unique way, that the message will be suited for each individual in their situation, that you be pleased by your spirit to talk to your people through your word for their good and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, you don't... Um, you don't have 20 years of ministry without the immense faithfulness of God to whom I give all the praise and all the glory, of course. And without a, a beautiful church to serve. And... Um, Pastors don't last a long time in churches that aren't churches that have the heart of Jesus. And, you know, we've had the same vision together. We've continued to have the same vision, which is we love Jesus with all of our hearts, mind, soul, body, and strength. We're grateful for what he has done for us, and we want our community to know about that. And that's kind of been our single vision together, and we've worked together on that. And so I want to thank you so much. And um, as Pastor Kelvin prayed, um, you know, the ministry that we've had has been a family uh, ministry as well. And I, I just want to thank you on behalf of my family for your gracious love for my children, for my wife. Uh, the people, you know, it was fitting to have a, a dedication service today because it truly is a work of a congregation, work of a family to raise each other and to raise each other's children. And I thank you uh, as on behalf of Lynn for how you raised our children with us. And they came here and uh, transitioned from the ministry uh, that they were in and all of the good people of Chatham who we love so much had done that part of the journey and God used you for this part of the journey. And um, so we... We are so grateful. We're just so thankful for you and love you, you so much. Um, how many of you have been here for the whole 20? I'm sorry. I, it's a, but not the majority. The, 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 uh, many have joined us on this journey, and we're grateful for that. Many have graduated to heaven along the way and uh, dear friends and loved ones. So anyway, thanks so much for uh, your amazing work together, and it's just a blessing to serve you, a privilege, and I brag on Calvary literally any chance I get and uh, wherever I go. I, I just tell people how much 
I love you and how good you people are in, in the Lord, and it's, I'm very thankful. Another thing I'm very thankful for, I was thinking this week, I woke up one morning, and, I, and it hit me. Um, you know, I wake up every day with all of the promises of God at my disposal. And, I, and I've lived, well, you know, I came to know the Lord at, at around 10 years of age. And I, I haven't really, I can't really remember ever a day when I didn't just kind of take all of the promises of God somewhat for granted. That this is, you know, I'm, I'm looked after by the Lord, I have his promises. But I got thinking about the contrast of people who don't have that and who wake up each day with hoping for luck, hoping for good fortune, hoping that somehow a coincidence might happen that will make things all right, hoping to somehow try to control their life because they have no guarantees. They, they have nothing they can really count on except, I suppose, death and taxes and the Leafs going out in the first round of the playoffs. But other than that, they have, they have very little to, to uh, actually count on. But think about us. Think about us and the promises we have and waking up every day in that confidence and security that God loves us, won't forsake us, won't leave us, and on and on it goes. And that's what this series is all about, is just reminding ourselves of of how good God is to us and what we have. So, I want to um, sort of explore the question this morning, are you prolonging wilderness in your life or poised for promise? You know, we've started a series called Out of the Wilderness and Into the Promises of God, and we got a start last week. And I want to take a run at this series with about three sermons, the first being last week, and then this one uh, builds another case for some important introductory realities that we need to know. And then uh, next week as well, we'll look at uh, Jesus in the wilderness, and then we'll move into promises specifically. And so again today, I want to do a little bit of searching through the scriptures and, you know, starting at Genesis and working our way through a a, a few of the Old Testament texts towards Joshua so that we get an orientation of the theology of out of wilderness and into promise so that we understand what God's roadmap is and how he seeks to work in our lives because he pictures for himself. The Old Testament is is in many ways God picturing for himself what he intends to do or has intended to do in the future. And so we learn a lot, and that's why Paul writes in in 1 Corinthians 10, for instance, he says, these things were all examples for you that you might might take them to heart. And these are examples for us as well. So I want to share three introductory realities with you about the the relationship between wilderness and promise from the Old Testament. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We were there last week. We're not going to spend a lot of time in the first two the first two points this, uh, this morning, I want to spend time with you in the, on the third point in particular. But I want to get you to the third point, historically, with Israel. You're, you remember Abram, he was called out of slavery, out of slavery to pagan moon worshipping. 
Not because of anything good he had done, but because of God's mercy, God called him. Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, verse 1, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. So he was sent into the land of promise, and, and he, he got the land uh, that uh, I will show, that God said I will show you. Go, he went to the land. In fact, by verse 5, he's, he's there. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. You know, as we read, read, continue to read on, though, we find out that by Genesis chapter 15, God uh, making a covenant to Abraham, Abram still tells him that, you know, um, then the Lord said to him, verse 13, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country that not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. So he, Abram was shown the promise, went to the promised land, was shown it, and then was told by God, but your, you, your people are now going to go into slavery for... Uh, four generations before I actually bring you to the land of promise because the land of promise is not ready because the people in that land are not ready the fullness of their sin is is not made them ready to be displaced and so you have this statement that God makes to Abram then the Lord said to him no for certain and you Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation of descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And and so he points out to Abram that you'll go into slavery in Egypt but you're also going to come back and you're going to spend time in the wilderness before I, I place you into the land of promise. And so the first reality that we see and that actually translates into our life is the journey from slavery to promise runs through wilderness. It does. You have been in and out of wilderness. You may be in wilderness right now. Eugene Peterson, remember what we... What we what he, how, the quote that I gave you last week, everyone who has anything to do with God will spend time in the wilderness. And so it has been throughout the history of God's people. And they did, in fact, go to Egypt. And they were enslaved in Egypt. And there were, uh, for, for centuries, they uh, were under the hard slavery of the Egyptians. But... And therefore, they were chased by God out of Egypt and into the wilderness. They were sent for a season into the wilderness. If you turn over in your Bibles to Exodus um, chapter 3, God, this is after these centuries now, God says in Exodus chapter 3 and verse uh, 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. 
And there we have. And so God does. He brings them out. He chases them out of Egypt, rescues them out of Egypt, chases them into the wilderness because there were lessons to learn, and there always are. When God brings us out of slavery to ourself and our sin, there are many lessons for us to learn throughout the journey of life. Lessons that they needed to learn about God, lessons that they needed to learn about themselves. Now, they had the choice, of course, and they complained and grumbled, and you, you know the history of, uh, of God's people, and, and the tendency is to want to fall back into slavery and, and, and die, or you can choose deliverance and follow through and serve the living God. In the wilderness, they received the law. In the wilderness, they, they learned to trust God, they learned to depend upon God. In the wilderness, they, God structured their religious and social lives. In the wilderness, they discovered who was real and who was not real. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul illustrates there the horrors of the many who God was not pleased with and were strewn across the wilderness. And so it is, we will spend time in the wilderness, rescued out of sin and slavery into the promise of God running through wilderness. But I want you to know that that God has a time limit, God has a time planned for your wilderness, uniquely known to God and for His purposes in your life. If you track the history of, of Israel being rescued out of Egypt and into the wilderness, you will discover that from the time they left Egypt till the time of the building of the first tabernacle in the wilderness was about eight months, roughly eight months. It says in the text, when the tabernacle was built in Exodus 40, 17, it was the first day of the first month of the second year. If you move through your Bible to uh, Numbers 13 and verse 1, you come to the place where they were at the edge of the promised land. That period of time, from tabernacle to the edge of the promised land is about 50 days. Because it says in Numbers 10, 11, on the 20th day of the second month of the second year. So you started in the first day of the um, first month of the second year, and now you're at the 20th day of the second month of the second year. Roughly about 50 days. Because we're thinking of big time spans here, from Egypt to the edge of the promised land, but it wasn't a big time span. And then they were commanded to go in, in Numbers 13, to go and spy out the land, go and see the land for 40 days. So that's 50 plus 40, it's about 90 days. So the time frame from Egypt to the offer of the promised land is roughly 11 months. God's time plan for them to be in the wilderness, for him to give them the law, set up their social structure, um, teach them to depend upon him, trust in him, get ready for what he had in mind for them and all the blessings of a land flowing with milk and honey, 11 months. We pick it up at Numbers 13.1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, which I am giving to the Israelites. And they chose leaders, 12 leaders, who went into the land and they looked at the land and they agreed that the land is just as God had said it would be, a land flowing with milk and honey, a great land. 
Set before their eyes was the land promised that God was giving to them. But they came back with a bad report. At least 10 of the 12 came back with a bad report. You know this. The bad report was, yes, it is the land just as you said it is. It's a, it's, it's a land of great promise. But we will get eaten alive if we go in there. What they were literally saying is life, God, life in your promise will devour us. No thanks. It, it is as you said. We, we, have, we have witnessed you fulfill the promises of rescuing us out of Egypt, leading us through the Red Sea. We're all under the same cloud. We're all baptized through the water, through Moses. We're all rescued through the Red Sea. We all ate of the same spiritual food. We all ate of the same spiritual drink, that rock that was Christ Jesus, the spiritual rock. It is all as you said, and this promised land is as you said. It's just as you promised, but if we go in, if we, if we take you on this, if we take you up on this promise, our lives will be devoured. How many times have we read a promise in the word of God that is an amazing promise and offers us all kinds of amazing benefits that we say, if I live this way, it's going to be too hard. If I live this way, people are not going to like me. If I live this way, it's going to be too hard at work. How many times have we said to God's promise, no, it's too hard? The second reality in this wilderness, wilderness journey is this. Wilderness may be prolonged depending on how spiritually resistant you are. They chose wilderness over the promises of God, which is tantamount to choosing wilderness over God. It is trusting what we see over God. See, on the wilderness side, there are idols, obstacles, fears, lusts, pride, defeats, but there are also certain comforts on the wilderness side. Predictability. We have grown accustomed, many of us, to living life comfortably miserable. We have. We know it's not right. And we know it's not even that comfortable, but it's predictable. We know how it works. We don't have to trust by faith in a scary promise of God. And so we choose to prolong the time of wilderness instead of taking the rescue that God has for us into his promises. Because remember, the Exodus outcome, the whole purpose of the Exodus outcome was to take them to the land of promise. That was the purpose of saving them. It's the purpose of saving us. It's why Jesus saved us. He saves us to bring us into his promises, to bring us into life in Christ. 
No longer to live the life we used to live, but rather to live the life, freedom in Christ, to experience all of the benefits that we can have in Jesus Christ. That's the intention of our salvation, to trust in him. We want salvation. We do. So did they. They wanted salvation out of Egypt, although at times they grumbled about it. But what they didn't want is the lordship of God. And that's so of us way too often. Sure, we want, sure, we want eternal life? Of course we want eternal life. Want a savior? Yeah, we want a savior. Do you want a Lord? Well, I don't know about that. It's a package deal for God. You must take Jesus as savior and Lord in order to benefit from all that your salvation has to offer. And that's the struggle that they, they were saved from in order to, be, to benefit from. But they preferred to wage war in their own flesh rather than live life victoriously in the spirit. And so often we do too. Because we're afraid to explore the benefits of fully trusting in God on the promised side of the river. You want to experience answered prayer in your life? Then pray the promises of God. And the naysayers in Numbers 14, verse 36, who brought the bad report, the leaders, so the men Moses had sent to explore the land, who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. It's a serious, serious business to be a leader and crush the faith and trust of others by bringing bad reports about God, living a bad report of God. But you know what? The good news is 40 years they were sentenced to wilderness. It was an extension on their wilderness sentence. 40 years, a year for every day that they got the opportunity to explore the goodness of God. <laughs> he, gave, he gave these guys, you know, a, a preview a preview of what life could be like in the promises of God. They saw the glorious benefits, but all they could see is big men who scared them. So after 40 years, we land in Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, and I want to spend our time there right now. Finally, a faithless generation is gone, strewn across the wilderness between Egypt and Israel. In the badlands of, at that time, would be Israel, wilderness. So we have two 80-year-olds and a million millennials. That's enough to make you want to give your resignation right now. Two 80-year-olds to lead a million millennials. Because that's what it is here. When I preached this back in the old days, we'd call this the Pepsi generation, but nobody knows that anymore. 
All the millennials here are like, what are you talking about, the Pepsi generation? Used to be a thing. How many remember when it was a thing? Okay, there's a few of you. Now it's millennials. They get, to, they get a do-over. Joshua and Caleb, old men, 80-year-old men, and all of the next generation get a do-over. And there's two prominent uh, elements that leap out of the text here, Joshua 3, 4, and 5, that sort of set the stage for us of what we're in for. And the one is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant appears 16 times in chapter 3 and chapter 4. You know that that's an emphasis. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was the, the symbol of God's presence among them. It was the symbol that, that, that they, they were to follow God, that God goes before them, and that only God could give them victory. So here is the presence of God. That's a a prominent feature of this section. And then the other prominent feature of this section is, is the word crossover or crossing, which is emblematic of the responsibility of the people to act in faith on the basis of God. And, and that's the way the Bible plays itself out. There's God and his promises, and then there's the expectation of people responding in faith to what God offers. And here's, here it is. It's laid out for us in Joshua 3. Because the destination of God's people, point three, is always the promised place. And there are four keys that I want to leave you with for practical application this morning. Four keys to making that crossover in your life. From the place of wilderness, if that's where you are, if that's where you've been chased by God or chosen by your own sinfulness, four keys critical to moving from wilderness to all of the benefits of the promises of God. They are first this, found in verse 3. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. I want to emphasize the phrase, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, it requires, first of all, a correct focus. If, we are, if we're going to move from wilderness to promise, we need to have a correct focus because we need to cut through the competition for our gaze. There are a lot of things out there that are competing for your eyesight. To, to distract you from the living God when you see the ark. That's the precisely where their forefathers fell. Where their forefathers failed, it was in their sight lines. God told them, you go in and look at this land with a, an eyesight, with a vision that I'm giving you. I'm giving you this land. Go in with that vision. They went in with a vision of loss. They went in with a vision of, of looking at the size of the enemy instead of the size of God. You have to have a correct focus if you're going to leave the wilderness to, to benefit from promise. And so when you see the ark, uh, the Lord had made it abundantly, uh, uh, abundantly clear to them that they needed to keep their eyes focused on the symbol of the presence of God among them, literally God. And it was difficult because they were already gazing at a raging Jordan River at flood time for at least three days. It says in the text they had arrived there, and it says in verse 2, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving these orders. 
You know, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, follow it. So they're staring at a raging river for three days. Now, they were told to keep a distance. In fact, they were told to keep a pasture length of distance, which is roughly about 1,000 yards. Why would they be told to do that? So that they could see any one of them was far enough back that they could see the Ark of the Covenant. You know, we vertically challenged people know that if you get into a crowd and you're too close and there's something that you're supposed to be looking at that's close by, you, you invariably get behind a guy like Dave Dean who's six feet ten or seven feet eight or whatever he is and you can't see a thing but if you're a thousand yards back you can see and so God wanted every single one of them to have a sight line to see the presence of God going before them God would lead them you must have that you must have a correct focus You need to do whatever you can to keep a big vision of God in your life every single day because there are a lot of things competing for your gaze. You you need to make sure that you're into God's word. You you need to make sure that that church is a priority. You need to to be involved in a a growth situation of some sort and discipling communities. You need to be a, a person at prayer. You need to keep focus on the symbols of God, on the reality of God, on the, on, the, on the truth of God, on who God is, because none of the other things that you have gazed at have rescued you. That's why in the New Testament we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. Where else would we look? To whom else can we look? We have to learn that it's only God to be our sight line. God goes first. And we need to remember that the same God that rescued them is the same God we serve today. The same God who could could take them from wilderness into promise is the God we serve. It's the same God who can take you from wilderness into promise. The crossover is into his grace and mercy regardless of how scary it feels, regardless of the sight lines, regardless of what you see that isn't God, his crossover is into grace and mercy for you and your family. But secondly, notice in verse 5, to, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourself. It requires of us to have a clean heart. He won't do amazing things for an impure people. Unless you and I resolve to purge the sin in our lives that we've been dragging along for so long, we should not expect God to do amazing things for us. We we should not expect to be at war with God by embracing our sinfulness and expect God to do something outstanding for us. You're ready for something outstanding when you're finally done with your sin. When you finally face it. When you finally own your sin and make every effort through the strength of God to be done with it, to put it away. Because that's what Jesus has rescued you to be able to do. Otherwise, it will be defeat upon defeat. If you think that you can warehouse sin in your life 
and experience the great things in the prom- of the promises of God, you are entirely wrong. If you think you can put a heavy backpack of sin on your life and wade into a raging Jordan River that God calls you in, you are very, very sadly mistaken. You will sink and be carried away down the river. Crossover starts with a big faith risk. And that big faith risk is to say goodbye to the sin that's become convenient or you think is helpful or you like it in your life. You have to take God at his word and be done with it. Consecrate yourselves. Because the river out there is too wild. Life is too perilous to be carrying sin instead of the promises of God. So now you're ready. You got to focus on God. You've been, you said goodbye to sin. So now you're ready to get your feet wet. Are you? Because it says in the text in verse 8, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Go and stand in the river. And you'll notice that it's the priests that have to go. It's the leaders that have to go. As go your spiritual leaders, so go the people. Who was it that led them astray into the wilderness for 40 years? It was their leadership. Ten flawed leaders infected the hearts of several million people to end up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. It takes courageous action If you won't head into the raging river at flood stage when God calls you to do it, then you're not ready to leave the wilderness and move into the promise of God. It may be costly. It's a courageous act because the promise won't come to you. You must go to it by faith. You see this? And let's face it. For these people standing on the edge of the raging Jordan River and knowing full well that their forefathers were afraid to go into that land because of the people who were there, if the living God can't take care of a river, how will he take care of the Hittites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Mosquito Bites and everybody else that's over there? How in the world is that going to happen? And it's the same in our lives. If God can't be trusted for the promises of daily life that he has given to you, how can you trust him to take care of your soul eternally? And if you can can trust him to take care of your soul eternally, why can't you trust him for the promises of day-to-day living? Standing at the banks of that river on that day at Jordan were a million excuses not to cross the river. A million excuses. A whole generation that was raised inland, they'd never seen a raging river in their entire lives. They could only get water out of a rock, the rock Christ Jesus. They hadn't seen anything like this. They had no experience. 
We rarely have experience when God calls us into promise. There were young women, newborns. Probably only 90% of them were vaccinated. There's risk when God calls you. There were disabled people, no doubt. They were, they were weak. They had no life jackets. That's a huge liability risk on the corporation. They had a resource problem. They had livestock. They were putting their livelihoods at risk by dragging them along. There were probably many who were saying, you know what, I'm just feeling like the Lord is taking me in a different direction. How many times I've heard that as a pastor? I just feel like the Lord is taking me in another direction and that direction is not healthy. I can tell you that right now. They were taking the ark for a swim. That's like drinking coffee in the sanctuary. The fundies will get that. Step out of the familiar into the wilderness. There were women with stilettos. Think about them. Are we going to get our shoes wrecked? I mean, that was probably mentioned. You and your wilderness wanderings are your risk, never God's promises. God's promises are not your risk. The wilderness is your risk. There's one last point here. You notice they were to go and then they were to stand. It's one thing to go, it's another thing to stand. You need a correct posture. A correct posture means it isn't going to be about you fulfilling the promise, it's going to be about God. Go and obey Him. When you get there, you're not fulfilling the promise, God's going to fulfill the promise. And God is going to call upon you that yes, yes, we must act, yes, we must go to the promise by faith, but when we get there, it won't be us making it happen. It'll be God making it happen. And God wants us to learn to wait on Him. Sometimes just to stand still and wait and see God act. And it can be a, an uncomfortable time. It can be an uncomfortable time while God is working, between, depending on who you read, between 11 and 30 kilometers up the river where you can't see Him working. He's stopping the river, but you can't see that. You just have to go and stand and believe that what God has promised will be so for a while, maybe an uncomfortable while. So sometimes you're just left with your faith and a correct focus and no action. And God decides the timing on that as well. But the river did stop. Because God told them it would. And they went into the river. And I want to close with a reminder to all of us as what this was all about. Look at chapter 4, verse 24. He, meaning God, did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Why does God bring you into his promise? 
and fulfill his promise in your life. That the people in your world, the people who circle around your world, might realize in your faith in your God that he is a powerful God and that you might learn to always fear the Lord. That you might be safe in the hands of God all the days of your life. And what happens? Chapter 5, verse 1, when that happens in your life, now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. God will fight your war. God will fight your battle. You obey him. Correct focus. Clean heart. Courageous act. Correct posture. Everyone around you sees how powerful the Lord is in your life. And you learn to fear the Lord all the days of your life. And your enemies and obstacles evaporate under the powerful work of God moving you forward into the promises of God which he has called you to. Where are you? Beloved, where are you today? There are some of you who may not even be starting on this journey. You don't even know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in the wilderness of lostness. Jesus offers you salvation today. In his name, he will forgive you of your sins and receive you into his family. Some of you have been chased by God into the wilderness because he's working on you. He's strengthening you. He's convincing you that he can take care of you. He's convincing you that you need to depend upon him. He is growing you. Some of you have chosen the wilderness because of your own sinfulness. God offers you a time limit to that. Say goodbye to your sin. And yes to the promises of God. So where are you? Where are you? Father, I pray this morning that the instruction of your word will impact our lives wherever we find ourselves. And we will take from this, Lord, what we need to do. And I pray, O oh God, that you will strengthen us through your word and by the power of your spirit to apply this to our lives that we may come from the wilderness and into the promises of God. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. I want to leave you with a promise this morning. Go ahead and take a seat for a moment. I want to leave you with a promise this morning that God has given to us through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 26, verse 7, the path of the righteous is level. You make the way of the righteous smooth. Beloved, in um, our trusting in God to deliver us from wilderness into promise, there are often quiet gaps between the action of God that he has promised and it actually taking place. There's a reason for that. God is through the work of his promises 
seeking to convince us and show us that there's no other explanation for why this is so, why God is, why this is, is happening to our benefit other than by God. He intends for, as you noticed, a world around us to see that our God is powerful and for us to fear the Lord. And so there are sometimes quiet gaps between what you ask for and what you get. If you read on in the text in Joshua 3, you will realize that not only did God stop the water, but to the well-sandaled woman, she got to walk across the river in perfectly dry riverbed. Now, you all know that that's just impossible. You can't have a river flowing for all of those years and all of that muddy bottom and have it perfectly dry. The only explanation is God. Because God's promise is the path of the righteous is level. You make the way of the righteous smooth. In fact, they got more than they thought or even asked for. You know, that would be a good promise. God is an amazing God. Where are you? Father, I thank you today. I pray for my brothers and my sisters, for those yet to be brothers and sisters, who will put their faith and trust in your promises to move out of the wilderness and into, by faith, the promises of God. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.